I'm Santana Bartoldes. I am Donald Brown. I am William Hall. And somehow and I, I inspired this episode on Alien Preparedness. Because I'm that awesome. We're pregnant. Bro, do you even I live? can't eat another One bite. is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. It hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you Whoa. hear that? That's that smell. was not there yesterday. You don't have a second of it. It's totally my natural girl. Is that supposed to look like that? Don't worry. Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's, Let's do, do this. this. Hey, everybody. We're back. Yeah, hey. We're back. We took a short hiatus last week and the week before because Terrell had final exams again. Terrell is always having final exams. Whatever. But we think all of the humans will really like this week's adventure, and hopefully, it will have been worth the wait. That's right. At long last, for this week's adventure, we finally explored alien preparedness. And to help us with that, co-host and alien enthusiast Tassine joined us to talk all about life beyond our planet and what we might do to deal with some of the health risks it could pose. Already, this might sound way too science fiction-y to be enjoyable and way too far-fetched to be part of a health science podcast. But let's not forget that our uber-realistic zombie preparedness episode was, and still is, one of our most popular adventures. And zombies aren't half as compelling as aliens. By the end of this... We think you'll agree, but even if you don't, you will probably be more prepared for alien life than you were before we started. And at the very least, you'll have some fun stories to tell your friends while you're out working on the pod hunt. Hashtag pod hunt. We begin at the beginning. Lots of us have ideas in our heads about what aliens from outer space might look like, or how they might behave, or where they might come from. I feel like a lot of what we think about what aliens might be is based on movies and books and things. Yeah, it uh, is. And they don't always get it right, especially when you look at older movies. Basically, the alien in your film is going to look like what you can fit an actor into. What exactly. kind of costume can I make that I can pay an actor to fit into? Exactly. And then that's what our aliens look yeah. like, except now that we have CGI. Yeah. We're starting to see some different yeah. things. Not just blobs and things, but yeah. what about humanoid aliens? You mm -hmm. know, we, like, um, thinking of uh, Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, I love the satire in it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, 
also like Doctor Who, you know. You oh yeah, Time Lord, that that's an alien. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? No, you can't hate that show. That's my favorite show. Okay, I won't talk about it again then. This is why. Okay, this goes on for a while. Us talking about our favorite portrayals of alien life in film and other kinds of storytelling, but eventually, after hashing out some differences in opinions about Doctor Who. We started sniffing around the types of health hazards that could come along with a real-life alien encounter. And I know what you're thinking. The obvious hazard is war, complete destruction of the Earth, and all mankind. If you're one of the humans who thinks that, you definitely are not alone. Stephen Hawking and some of the planet's other respected scientists, sharing their two cents on the matter, agree with you, especially the ones who consider a similar kind of event that happens in nature on Earth, when dominant species spread and take over resources in a process called biological invasion, but that observation only made it more surprising when, Tassine said this. ...on our planet to fill those gaps. And so... Part of what people probably think about when they think about aliens is that they will come here, they will dominate our planet, and they will use up all of the ocean water like in, uh, what was the Tom Cruise movie? It played on this idea that if aliens were to come here, automatically it would be about destruction, Mm -hmm. it would be about taking up all of our resources, it would be about killing all the people, or... Uh, you know, bringing their infections like in War of the Worlds. Or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, that Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah, where they have to wipe us out because yeah. we don't know how to behave ourselves. The day, the yeah. Stood still. So yes, in a chaotic, if your if your idea of the universe is, you know, everything is chaotic and disorder. Yeah. Everything dominates that way. Then of course you're gonna think that mm-hmm. you know invasion. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, it'll be imminent or mm-hmm. it's a danger. Yeah. You know, um, not recognizing that, you know, there, I mean, not recognizing there could be other possibilities like we see in Arrival. Yeah. Right. So, which was epic. Which was pretty great. I, I, I love thought that that's, movie. Yeah, I do. Too. Yeah. That's like, yeah. yeah. Top of my list. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, if the aliens come here with the plan of destroying us, That's a health threat that threatens our planet, that threatens our health. But in terms of more realistic versions... That I have ideas about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I don't think we're going to get a higher order, you know, alien show Mm -hmm. up on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. um, Because if, if, if there is a possibility of higher order aliens, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not going, they're not going to... They're gonna do. They're gonna probe like we do. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna send like a vehicle, you know, like we did to Mars. You know, they're gonna send something like that, and mm-hmm. maybe then we'll talk. Okay. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> meantime, I don't think it's gonna be a sudden invasion overnight. And there are all these theories about, you know, space is so big that if there was other intelligent yeah. life, the likelihood of us being in the same place at the same time is very small. Yeah. Or that they would have to be tens of thousands of years ahead of us with their yeah. technology in order yeah. to get here because that something, would be like... Something possibly more futuristic yeah. traveling back in time. Mm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is you have space and time to conquer. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about that, 
you know, it's kind of very not probable, mm -hmm. you know, that we will see an alien in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. What we can see, though, is what we already see, is mm -hmm. meteorites. Right. Right? Right. That land on the surface of the Earth. Mostly gets burnt up in the mm -hmm. Earth's atmosphere. But my idea is, you know, a meteorite could act like a cocoon mm -hmm. to a piece of, you know, bacteria. We know there's bacteria in space. Bacteria. Okay. Before you go get the feels and fall down a Google hole, we'll just go ahead and tell you that you heard right. The idea of aliens hitching a ride to Earth on meteorites is actually a real-life possibility. It's called impact transfer, and plenty of astrobiologists say it represents the most likely scenario of us making alien contact anytime soon. And if the time comes, it could go a little like this. Somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, a comet or an asteroid crashes into an alien planet, kicking up huge rock particles with a force so massive that the rock particles get thrust into space and float around until they eventually crash into another planet, like planet Earth. Under the right conditions, living material, like bacteria, or non-living infectious material, like viruses, on the rock particles, could survive the trip well enough to contaminate planet Earth. And the reason this is even a thing is because space is really cold. And microbes can do this trick where they go dormant in really cold environments, only to spring up again when conditions become more ideal. Tassine explained that we're already studying how this works on Earth, as ice melts in the Arctic from global warming and the germs that were trapped inside the ice escape and start making their way into the population. Just like in a modern case in Russia, where a sizable deer die-off is being investigated because the anthrax infections that killed the deer may have been caused by a strain of newly unfrozen bacteria. At this point, you can probably see where this One is going. Infected, and then right. they're going, you know, 28 days later. Never mind. Yeah. Why did I say yeah. 28? And would we even have tests for the, like, how do you... After Tassine freaked us all out with her talk about frozen space bacteria, she made a point to mention that the odds of Earth having the perfect conditions for space germ survival are actually pretty low. So, yes, we're talking about alien life forms ending up on Earth. But the question is, is the atmosphere right? Because in order for live space material to thrive on Earth, the conditions here, especially the natural elements for making energy, would have to be pretty well matched with the conditions on the planet that the alien material came from. And by that logic, nature would pretty much take care of the aliens for us. And there wouldn't really be much preparing for us to actually do. And then we dropped this gem. So it's unlikely that the material would come to Earth and infect us because the conditions probably wouldn't be right. But whether they come down here dead, whether they come down here alive, the other thing that you mentioned to me that would be a threat for material from outer space is radiation. Oh yes, now I remember. Yeah. <laughs>
Remember cosmic radiation? We talked about it in our radiation episode, which was episode number 13. If you haven't already played it, you may want to go back and listen to it now, but if you're not ready for that kind of commitment, just remember that radiation is energy, that travels through space in waves, at the speed of light, while also, behaving like a flow of tiny particles, most kinds of radiation are safe, but cosmic radiation is one of the most dangerous kinds of radiation, because it has very high energy that knocks electrons off of the atoms in the human's DNA, causing damage to the human's tissues and all kinds of health problems problems, including death. If you're listening to this, and worrying that you may be unprepared to survive cosmic radiation, from alien contact, don't. Terrell has already looked into the world's government preparedness plans, and the only reason she hasn't mentioned them yet is because she's being dramatic. I said, well, what would we do to prepare? How would we protect ourselves from the radiation? And you said, well, we have to contain it. And I said, well, how would we do that? It's not safe. And you said, well, the government would have to contain it. <laughs> so I said, oh, that makes sense. There must be some department in the government or some international program where all the countries are working together and they are working on plans for what to do if a giant meteor comes down with alien material or just radiation. Uh, I could not find a damn thing. <laughs> Governments have been around for a long time, but as far as we can tell, they haven't been putting much effort into designing disaster plans for alien encounters. We searched as far as we could, and the best we could turn up was a reference to a book from the 1960s called Xenology, an introduction to scientific study of extraterrestrial life intelligence and civilization. During the 1970s, there was some chatter about a certain part of the book called Seven Phases of Contact being used by the United States military to develop protocols for dealing with alien life, but when we finally found a copy of it, it read much more like a philosophy paper than a plan, and Unless the work is being kept secret, there doesn't seem to be any current planning going on either. So I feel like if we were to prepare for the most realistic version of aliens coming down and there being lots and lots of radiation, it would be the type of preparedness you do when no one's coming to save you. You know, <laughs> you have to figure out how to save yourself. This sounds a bit dire, but there are actually branches of study that work out ways we can stay alive in exactly these types of situations. And by those we mean the types of situations where everything we know and every system we've come to depend on is compromised. So compromised that we are left to our own devices to brave the wild and to try and get ourselves to safety when we can't just go indoors and wait for rescue. The only other times on Earth where we have experienced sort of massive radiation, like massive targeted radiation, mm -hmm. are in situations like where we drop bombs on people and destroy cities, or when there are accidents at places like nuclear plants, and then we imagine 
what could happen in the event of nuclear war. So huge mass destruction. Events like the one Terrell described are incredibly rare, especially when you factor in the part about aliens, but when game-changing disasters do happen, experts say that practical skills in emergency care, and survival tactics, can mean the difference between life, and death, and poor Wi-Fi connection, while you're trying to keep safe, and healthy, during emergencies in the wild. Today's most useful survival skills were originally created for dealing with extreme resource shortages, and short-term, outdoor mishaps, like avalanches, or snake bites, but because they help the humans use whatever they can find to secure food, water, fire, shelter, and makeshift health care, these skills will probably also be helpful during the alien winter. So I'm going to paint a picture for a scenario, and then you'll find out why we have sticks in here. <laughs> so... If we take bits and pieces from all of those types of events that I described, then we can imagine that maybe a very, very big meteor crashes into Earth, mm -hmm. destroys an entire city. Mm -hmm. So that means the power plant destroyed, the hospitals destroyed, there's no electricity, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no running water, there are probably fires in places, there's mm -hmm. probably smoke from the fires in places. Roads are probably destroyed. Food sources are probably destroyed. You're basically in a big, burnt-up crater, mm -hmm. and your only hope for survival is to figure out how to get moving. You have to get away from the radiation. Mm -hmm. And it's well, not something you can see or smell or taste, yeah. right? So the level of preparedness would have to be at a level of how do I make a plan and get out of here? How do I bug out from Bugging here? Bugging out is what the experts call it if a person has to abandon their home or city all of a sudden to seek safety. It requires that the humans prepare a getaway plan and a bug out bag of supplies far ahead of the actual emergency. Learning how to bug out is just one of the efforts experts recommend the humans consider for surviving massive emergencies. They also suggest that the humans make sure to stay physically fit, because in a disaster, they may need to hike long distances on foot while carrying heavy supplies or small children. Even if you're not physically fit, there are all sorts of mental tasks experts think you should consider learning to do. Some of them involve things like being able to recognize when certain plants are poisonous, or knowing the correct places to apply pressure to stop the bleeding in a scalp wound, but particular mental exercises that the experts bring up again and again involve, learning to think outside the box when you need to make supplies from scraps you find lying around, and arming yourself with the most important facts about different kinds of survival threats. This is part of a good strategy for ensuring you make the best survival choices for your particular situation, when the shit has hit the fan, and every decision really counts. So, I mean, yeah, of course, since we are, don't have any idea when mm -hmm. this could happen, mm -hmm. I could not suggest to you to get into a fridge like Indiana Jones did, mm -hmm. you know, and try to survive or mm -hmm. wait it out until, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, everything yes. got cleared. What experts suggest is that you prioritize the most important needs. So you want to be able to do things like have a plan for how you might find shelter or have a plan for how you might get safe drinking water or safe food or 
how you might deal with injuries or illnesses that See, might those pop are up. all things though difficult if it's a radiation scenario I'm going to get to that. Right? Yeah. Because everything is... Contaminated. Contaminated. Right. You're just... Right. You know... So naturally, your first priority is... Is get out of that zone. Even before that. (laughs) Before you get ready to travel, you have to decon, right? So... Decon is short for decontamination. Surprised me. If you can shower... Shower with radiated water, though? The Centers for Disease Control says that you can use radiated water or radiated water to wash radiation off your clothes off surfaces and stuff because there's a dilution factor i see and i read that and i thought that can't be true but it really is considered safe to wash away radiation with tap water and ground water because any radiation that the water may have picked up gets diluted down to a very low level. This means that soap and water and shampoo are fine for your decontamination, but not conditioner. Don't use conditioner to decon. Conditioner seems similar enough to shampoo, but it can actually cause radiation to stick to your hair. Out, you know, even though radiation is really harmful to our flesh and to living things, there are barriers that will block the radiation from affecting things like your food, mm-hmm. your drinking water. So if all the water went out, but somehow your toilet survived, turns out the tank from the toilet actually shields the water inside the tank oh, from radiation. <laughs> so. If it comes down to it, if you need the drinking water, you can grab it out of that tank and it'll be fine. Also, if you've got packaged foods or packaged beverages, the packaging will actually block the radiation and protect the food inside. You just have to wash the packaging. So if the food was in the cabinets, you might wash the cabinets and then wash the packaging and then you're fine to eat that food until you can get yourself to a place where there's safe food and not radiation food. And apparently, like you said, the refrigerator will actually shield the food inside from the radiation. So step one is, I guess, be smart about your decon. You know, know that if you are cleaning radiation off surfaces with your water, that you should wear gloves, that you should wear a face mask, because if the water is hot, then the steam will come up out of the, the water okay, and the radiation can go into your body. Or even if you're using cool water, but it's hot enough outside, mm-hmm. then some of that water will go to steam and then it ends up in your body because you breathe it in. But knowing things like that help a person to be safer about trying to get themselves ready to kick rocks and try and get to the next town. So Getting yourself clean and ready to travel is a very important step in putting distance between yourself and the source of the alien radiation. But remember, getting ready to move is only part of the battle. So this is where some more of that mental stuff from before comes in. Because in order to get to an alien free zone, you'll probably have to figure out what supplies you will be taking with you where they will come from, and how you can make do if you haven't already got them with you. And this will be true whether or not your car has died, or the roads were destroyed, or you have to carry everything you have on your back. Some people will think, great, I'll just put all the stuff I need in a bag and I'll keep it by the door. 
But the better approach is to learn how to improvise the things that you need mm -hmm. so that you can travel very, very light and you can just make the things you need based on whatever is left in the fallout area. So I'm actually gonna whip out the bag. <laughs> you asked me earlier why I brought sticks in here. One of the most entertaining parts of survival preparedness involves learning how to build tools and other supplies with things around you based on the needs you might have in any given disaster situation. Tassim didn't know ahead of time that I'd be doing this, but for our chat, I brought a bag of random survival hack items and had her try her hand at using some of them to build some basic makeshift equipment. I want you to see if there's anything in this bag that you could use in order to clean drinking water. Okay, so we got cotton, socks. Interesting, okay. <laughs> Did you go swimming or something? Nope. Okay. I went dumpster diving. I see. Because that's what you would have to do in these situations. <laughs> well, you ransack well, places. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, don't. Don't. Okay. Don't. Don't. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that, please. <laughs> um. So if we're if we're just talking about toilet water, then you know this jug here would do it. Just kind of mm. dip that in there. That your... it won't fit. Okay. Which at that point I'd like some. Let's see. <laughs> so I'll tell you, the container is a decent idea. Mm -hmm. There's another option that will travel better. Travel better. Because once that's full, it'll be heavy. Once it's empty, it'll still take up the same amount of space, even though it's not serving its purpose of helping you carry drinkable water. So do you see anything else here? Tassine's first choice of the water jug was a good one. After all, what better to hold water than a water jug? But I still nudged her to consider a second choice. Because if we were sitting in our half-destroyed library, trying to plan for our hike away from the alien crater, it would be in our best interest to choose only the most flexible items or the ones that could fit into small spaces when they aren't being used and that can serve multiple purposes so we could have a few things that each fill a bunch of needs rather than hauling around a bunch of single-use items that only do one thing and take up a lot of their own space. According to wilderness and survival experts, little conveniences like these help us travel smarter, but they also play a part in helping us to keep up morale, which is important because a strong will to live makes a big difference in whether or not we actually do cotton swabs live. Okay, it's crunchy. Piece of string. Yep. Um condom mm -hmm. maybe put it in a condom I'm not sure <laughs> yeah uh. so what you can do is if you have the unlubricated condoms you can actually open one up put it inside of a sock, a sock and fill it with water and then you can pour the water into the condom and then you can wrap the twisty tie around there mm. so that it doesn't leak 
And these supposedly can carry be, a liter of water at okay. a time. I'd be worried about bursting it, though. These That's why more... you use the sock. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or how else might you get some clean drinking water if you came to a stream or something like that? Uh, let's see. You want, to, you want to clean the water, so the best way to do that, if you can, is to boil it. Well, you're talking about muddy water, though, so you'd want to decant yes. first. Or... Or you could distill it. So let's say this is a soda bottle, a two liter soda bottle. Mm -hmm. You can actually cut out the bottom and fold the inside so that there is a tube inside. Mm -hmm. Then you can sit this over top of the dirty water near the sun. The water in the mud will come up and evaporate into the top of the bottle. And then the water will run down the side and then the mud will stay at the bottom. Then you can just pour the water into your bowl that you will make out of aluminum foil Still and then like boil it. Still a slow process. Well, <laughs> I guess what you have infinite you do? time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to get to the next town. <laughs> you got to get there first. I agree with Tassine. The soda bottle strategy sounds like a lot of work. A different approach involves boiling a few layers of fabric and then using the fabric as a filter by pouring the water over the fabric like a sieve. The mud and debris get stuck on top of the fabric, but the water flows through the fabric into another container so that it can be boiled for drinking later. What about, how would you use this to so, start a fire? Oh, we don't have any, we'll find another fire. I'm kidding. I don't think we'd have matches. <laughs> Maybe no, no, you wouldn't. But if you were prepared, like you went to a camping store before the aliens came, you could actually buy one of these uh, flint scratchers, mm -hmm. which would be my preference. Yeah. Because there's like a piece of flint and then a piece of metal, and they're on a little string together, so you can wear it around your neck or mm -hmm. put it in your pocket, and you scratch them together to make sparks to light up whatever tinder that you're using yeah. to start the fire. Yeah, you could use clothes and cotton swab and... The is, sock's useful. The is, sock is... You're going to burn the sock? You I need might... that for your condom well, water. <laughs> I have this, plenty of socks. Will, this, will the cotton burn by itself? Uh, no, you could use this petroleum jelly. Yeah, you could use that. Yeah, or this chapstick too. chapstick, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I did that once. You're going to be good at this. Yeah. What if uh, there was a riot and there was gas? I'd use stick. What kind of it. mask... You think you'd make a mask out of maybe out of the bra? <laughs> mm-hmm. So people so, will make masks out of the bra. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. basically any kind of cloth you could get to your mouth and just cover your nose. What uh, about the wet ones would work too, I guess, in a way. Um, oh. They would capture. Yeah. They act like a filter basically. But you need yeah. those for your spit bath. My spit bath. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. You don't actually have to use spit, but those are... I'd say the second most entertaining part of survival preparation involves thinking outside the box when it comes to knowing how to plan for staying healthy on the go. When we started in on this bugging out business, you may have imagined that a person bugging out would need to know how to do all sorts of heroic procedures like setting broken bones with logs, or sewing stitches with dental floss, or making medicine from tree bark and animal droppings. But chances are that some of the most impactful knowledge we can have for surviving alien disaster revolves around the practical need to keep ourselves clean. 
Hygiene is something that we take for granted, at least some of the time, in our daily lives. But while outside for the days or even weeks it could take to walk to safety, if we get dirty enough, we will get sick. I'm talking head lice, ticks, fungal infections, urinary tract infections, and of course, everyone's fan favorite, diarrhea. These ailments and the other ones that you might face on a trek from the crater may sound like disasters in themselves, but it's fun to remember that they are all things we had to deal with for centuries before we started living indoors. Unlike our old-timey ancestors, though, we have no shortage of fun hacks for working around these wilderness snafus. For example, while we're doing all that hiking, we can avoid getting blisters that could break open and get infected by making a plan to rotate our socks and to smear deodorant on the soles of our feet. If we get diarrhea from keeping dirty hands after we poo, we can fight dehydration by carefully mixing a solution of clean water and salt and sugar packets. If we're more than two years old, we can actually even try and treat pink eye with a flush made from water and honey. I could go on like this for hours, but instead of doing that, I encourage you to visit your local library and see exactly what I mean. And don't forget to ask for the books with full illustrations. So you could take that, use one to wash your face, one to wash your naughty parts, and then um, I guess a third one to wash everything else. And they would waste much less drinking water mm -hmm. because they don't need much fluid. Yeah. And then between uses, you would just boil them and then store them somewhere and then you could use them again. As for Tassin and I, before all was said and done, we fashioned a way to boil water in a stream with no pots. She's not gonna be, okay, so we have the credit Start a fire with no matches. Catch a fish with a credit card. Start a fire with a broken light bulb. Then I started cheating at my own exercise. I don't know. I would think about taking my phone because the next place might have electricity. <laughs> In my mind, the only thing I need is my phone. <laughs> I'm just going to take this phone and that water bottle. Me and Siri can figure it out. Because she's got GPS. She can call people. I can ping up. people. I can do the I'm safe thing on Facebook. But yeah, once that battery dies, that's just, that's the end of that. So, yeah, you could, not good for the environment, but you could burn your battery. Yeah. That would be a fire starter. Yeah. You're just gonna hit it with a rock. Mm-hmm. That sounds dangerous, though. Yeah, it looks tough. And finally, what about if you needed to make a backpack? You need to make a backpack. The t-shirt would come handy, right? You so there's a special kind of backpack that you can make with 
You can't see what Terrell and Tassine are doing, but if you're interested, they're trying to make something called a Roy Croft bag. It's a makeshift backpack made of three sticks, a piece of fabric, and a long piece of string tied in a way that holds all of the three sticks in place while also serving as the backpack straps for the bag. People may build these when they have a lot of supplies to carry but they need to have their hands free so they can use their hands for other tasks. Toilet water, and your condoms, and your bras, and your petroleum jelly. So, you know, the idea is that it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but the plan is that this should be able to hold you over for maybe 72 hours while you're trying to get to the next town. Because mm -hmm. the goal, again, like you said, is you have to get out of here and get to the next town. Somebody somewhere has Wi-Fi. I need to tweet. It's been two days. I have to get out of here. And then we started talking about the bug out bags because the experts have some rather clear recommendations for what we should put inside. If you had a few minutes to grab like five things that you were gonna have in that bag to try and hold you over for the next 72 hours while you're hiking through who knows where on foot, what three or five items do you think would be most important to have. Grab a knife or scissors or something mm -hmm. to cut with. Mm -hmm. I'd grab a container to hold something with, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd maybe get sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Stick string, things I could bind stuff with, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yarn, string, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, Don't forget I'd, your bra. <laughs> I would, I'd, I'd get another pair of shoes or anything yeah. like socks, things like. Yeah. I know we feel uncomfortable. A blanket for certain. I grab as much, you know. Those are those can be heavy, but the point mm -hmm. is like anything that allows me. Um, yeah, just, mm -hmm. just because a blanket, you know, could serve two purposes. It could, it could carry everything in it. Mm-hmm. And you could wrap it a, up, make wrap, a satchel. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or you could make a tent out of it. You mm -hmm. know, if it comes to that, or. Mm -hmm. Maybe better than that would be like something like tarp, tarp, tarp. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That kind of material. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'd grab that or something because that would serve so many functions. Yeah. So yeah, something like that. Anything like to stay basically dry. Yeah. So yeah. I, that that would be a priority for me. Mm -hmm. So even though if I'm cold, if even if I'm cold, as mm -hmm. long as I'm dry, it's mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Than to be wet and cold. Yeah, because then you're in a world of hurt once the hypothermia sets exactly. in or you get that rot, uh, what do they call the trench foot? Oh my the, goodness. Yeah. Trench foot is what happens when the human's feet are kept in damp, cold, unsanitary environments, and as a result, the tissues in the feet die and rot off a little like what happens with frostbite. I think you would win alien preparedness <laughs> because some of the most recommended things are to have a knife, and it doesn't have to be a knife that you find in the kitchen or that mm -hmm. looks a certain way. You can make a knife, you know, just get a piece of glass and two pieces of wood, put the glass between the two pieces of wood and then wrap some kind of rope around there and now you can cut things and maybe fight for that last hamburger that you found at the gas station, I don't know. <laughs> it's also recommended that you consider carrying a poncho, a first aid kit with things like bandages and bug yeah, repellents. Diarrhea medicines. Yeah, yeah. Once that drinking water gets dirty, it's it's all downhill. You yeah. want your you want your diarrhea meds. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I didn't see on the popular list that I think people should consider having is some kind of photo ID. Mm -hmm. 
because eventually we're going to figure out how to get the systems back in place to help your loved ones find you or help you find your loved ones and uh, anyone who knows me personally knows I'm always talking about these road IDs it's like a metal the bracelet is nylon but there's a metal piece that goes on there Mm -hmm. and your name is laser engraved into there your emergency contacts and then when the paramedics come if the internet is back up they can use the code number on the back to access an internet-based version of your emergency medical information. Very cool. So they know if you're a do not resuscitate, they know what your blood type is. Mm-hmm. Whatever you've programmed into that online option, they can see it with the code number if we have internet. Duct tape, of course, Perfect. has a million uses. Yeah. Flashlights, condoms came up again, a mirror in case you need to peek around a corner at the mm-hmm. riot or in case you need to uh, like signal someone mm-hmm. with the light. And then this one surprised me. Do you think you would want a whistle in your bug out bag? Possibly, yeah. If I was trapped under some debris, yeah. Yeah. whistling all day. I, yeah, I had not it's, thought of that. And it's better than yelling. That, right, I didn't know that. Like yeah. it, your, your body uses less energy to use a whistle than to yeah. scream. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I, I better get a whistle. whistle everywhere. Yeah. This is so many purposes. Yeah. You know deodorant? Use deodorant. That's flammable too? Yes. You can make a fireball. You heard it here. The people can't see my face. <laughs> fireballs are dangerous. Please don't make deodorant fireballs. Listeners who are competing for a Darwin Award may be excused from heeding this warning. Okay, so I'm going to make my deodorant fires and some other things that we might not think of that you should not put in the bug out bag. Can you think of things that people might try and take that they should probably just not take? The Xbox. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sleeping bags apparently mm. are not as useful as things like tarps. Uh, yeah. Tents, they weigh a lot more than a tarp. Canned food, it's way heavier. It is. Than freeze dried food, even though they're both protected by the packaging. Survival books, but they're heavy also. <laughs> Don't plan to carry the books. Plan to learn what's in the books before the disaster happens so that you can just have it in your head and then it weighs nothing. But I think one thing we should really be thinking about, you know, we can talk about putting on pantyhose in order to keep ticks off your body. Tassine does research in a chemistry lab and has probably forgotten more things about science than I've ever learned. So I could not let her leave without picking her brain about something really weird really weird maybe we need to be thinking about changing ourselves so you mentioned that there are certain animals or certain organisms there are certain organisms that naturally have a kind of radio resistance or they're they're less they seem vulnerable everything yeah to radiation uh so What about gene therapy? Why can't we take genes from the cockroach and put them into a human cell and then grow humans and have them be more resistant to the alien's radiation? I feel that's beyond, you know, unethical, but... You think that's unethical? I do. How? how, For the roaches or for the children? For the children. Okay. They're not really... What are, what, are you trying to create mutants here? We're trying I to give them so. a survival advantage. 
why not let nature take it take its course if it needs that needs to happen? Why? Maybe this is part of nature. Maybe nature contributed to us evolving a brain that could take a gene out of a roach and put it in a baby. Maybe this is part of it. That seems too extreme. <laughs> <laughs> what if we don't do it to the children? What if we figure out a way this would be like a treatment or a therapy we would okay. use so that people who are already alive and who can already consent mm -hmm. can say, yes, I would like to be less vulnerable to alien radiation. Should that be something that should be part of our future proofing, part of our plan for the future? Again, I don't think so. It's just such an improbable thing. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know, tomorrow might happen. But yeah, I, yeah, I would not want that. Really? Yeah. I, I think maybe. Do you think uh, you'd want that? So I wouldn't want the roach. But maybe, you know, one of those. Um, so this the, went on water for about bears. 10 minutes, us tossing ideas back and forth about ethics and evolution and whether we have an obligation to protect tomorrow's kids from today's science and how we should be thoughtful about how we divide resources for different medical discoveries. And then the scene got deep people should have a more we should have a more humble view of ourselves as a human race and more of like a we should see ourselves more as stewards you know we should see ourselves as caretakers when it comes to everything that this planet provides mm -hmm. when we take a caretaker sort of mentality what we're doing is we are um, accepting that there is trouble and that you know, there, there's a fine balance between things, you know, extremes. And that we are in charge of developing that and like maintaining that, resourcing that. Mm -hmm. And that we should do that as much as we can. And every human has that responsibility. And so when I, when I communicate the idea of stewardship, we're obviously like taking care of it. But who are we taking care of it for? The so, aliens. Right. <laughs> So that, that, that question, I think, that is what we need to fundamentally answer for ourselves, really. Once you figure out what you're on this planet for, you know, you, you will see what you need to do. So I really, really think that, you know, that's a big part of why um, I myself, I'm like in the sciences, you know, learning, understanding the world, um, trying to understand nature. Mm -hmm natural aspect of the world all this plays into is just learning more about our universe just so we can take better care of it mm. and so I mean that's the ultimate goal even though I'm at the I'm not really in the policy regulation part or I'm not even on the forefront you know kind of trying to stop glaciers from melting too much or something I'm not doing that part but I am in this chain Mm -hmm. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing on this end, like mm -hmm. trying to understand exactly what's causing things. So I think if I see it that way, then, you know, people along this chain can see it, you know, but all with the same focus of this is our role as caretakers, as, mm -hmm. you know, stewards. So. Well, when you say it like that, it makes me feel like maybe we don't need to take the genes out of the roaches and make ourselves more radiation resistance, fine.
so there you have it. Turns out, I still have some growing up to do when it comes to choosing the best creatures to use for gene therapies. Clearly, the water bear is the better choice. Yes, I am joking, but while we're on the subject, if you've never seen a water bear before, please stop this podcast right now and go check one out on the internet. Once you're done doing that, you may also like to visit YouTube to watch videos of real-life survival experts doing all sorts of things, like building stretchers from branches and making some of those Roycroft bags. Wrong episode. Anyway, I'm going to catch up on some much-needed sleep now that the semester is over, but... We hope this week's adventure has been fun and interesting. And if it wasn't, well, you'll just have to stay tuned for our episode on time travel preparedness so you can learn how to survive your trip when you go back in time to reclaim the hour you just spent listening to us talk about toilet water. Special thanks to Tessine for sharing her afternoon with us even though it was almost time for the Doctor Who finale and for promising to come back later for our episode on poison. Shh, I didn't ask her yet. Oh, never mind. Please tell the other humans to listen to the podcast so I don't have to go back to my day job. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42TOWERBEAMSUNSHINESTRAIN. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies. www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?